listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Tonight we've had five short parables placed on our collective plate, told in rapid-fire succession, all having to do with the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like, bang, a quick image, followed by another, followed by another, followed by another. It's almost like watching a website slideshow, with each image sitting on the screen for just a couple of seconds before it moves and the next appears. Now, in our case, we, we have the luxury of being able to pause and to consider more deeply any one of those images as they appear, or we could skip to the end and see kind of how it resolves, not so much with those disciples who were the original audience for these parables, who would have just watched as one image flashed by and then another and then another and then another. Only later could they really give it any further consideration. I I don't completely believe them when Jesus says, Do you understand all this? Yes, they say. Mm, I'm not so sure. And at whatever level they did, it wasn't going to be deep enough because parables always take you deeper. Maybe it's that ongoing consideration and reflection and conversation. Maybe that's part of what Jesus was flagging when he concluded by speaking of the scribe who's being trained for the kingdom being like the master of a household who brings out his treasure, out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Maybe part of what he's saying to the disciples is, take these little treasures, these little parables, so that you can bring them out again and again and look at them in light of everything I've taught you, everything you've seen of me, and everything you've known from your formation in the Torah as Jewish men, from what was given you through the ancient covenant, trust me, you'll want all of those treasures, both old and new. So let the slideshow begin. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It's a tiny seed, is a mustard seed. Yet once it's sown, it yields incredible plant growth. So, they would be thinking, so the kingdom is something that at first looks very small, even inconsequential, yet once it's planted, it it, it bursts forth in unimaginable ways. All of this trekking around the Galilean countryside we've been doing, constantly dealing with poor folk and sick folk and desperate folk, that might all have a a deeper meaning in the kingdom? Is that how God's reign is being brought in? But he continues. It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Now, I, I think this one is a more evocative image. And not simply because Jesus chooses to use a female character to illustrate the slow work of the kingdom. As any bread maker will tell you, 
Once the yeast is folded and then kneaded into the dough, it, it goes to work. You can't see it anymore. You can't distinguish between the yeast and the flour. Once it's added, it essentially disappears, becomes hidden in the dough. Can't be removed or retrieved. But it's very much at work. You must, in a sense, just trust the yeast to do the leavening. And you have to be patient, not trying to rush the bread into the oven too soon, because if you do, it ruins it. Slow down, you twelve. Let the yeast do its work. You see, they were always very restless, always wanting to jump to the next thing, to figure out more, to see what was going to happen, to try to put things into action. Slow down, he's saying to the twelve. The kingdom works like yeast. Why? Why should they wait? Why should they be patient? Because it will be well worth it, which is where the next two slides come in. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. If you know what's good for you, You'll sell everything you own to generate enough money to buy that field and so own the treasure. It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls who finds this one amazing pearl and sells everything in order to purchase just that one thing. Now there's some serious patience in these two images as well as a touch of kind of savvy or canniness. Count the cost ethos. Consider it. Do a bit of planning and calculation. Make your decision. And then step by step make the arrangements to buy that field or buy that pearl. No knee-jerk impulses at work here. So recap the slideshow so far. The kingdom, the reign of God is unimaginably valuable, even if you 12 are just beginning to wrap your heads around that fact. It's been planted in the dirt. It's been folded into the doughiness of the world and is very much present, even if right now the signs of it seem small and inconsequential. Patience, boys, patience, he's saying to the disciples. You really need to trust me on this. It is worth it. And then he tells one more tougher-edged parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. Okay, now this is an image they can really relate to. I mean, a third of them had fished for living until they were called out on this road trip with Jesus. And the rest of them had spent time close to the sea. They know the drill with nets and fish and the work of sorting the keepers from all the other stuff that gets dragged up in a net. It's not just poor quality fish that you have to deal with in a net. The seaweed, the bottom feeders, and the general detritus that gets caught up in nets. So where is this one going? So it will be at the end of the age, Jesus says. 
The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now press pause on the slideshow for a minute. If you were one of those disciples hearing these stories told for the first time, you'd have been schooled in a tradition that did in fact distinguish between the righteous and the unrighteous or the evil. And you'd have learned that it was only through Torah fidelity, faithfulness to the law, that you could land fully in the camp of the righteous. Chances are, though, if you were one of those 12, you were also walking with a sense of your own failure to do just that, to be that faithful to Torah. Whether because you had a bad track record, like Matthew, a tax collector, or simply because you were honest enough to know that when it came to holiness and faithfulness and strict adherence to the Torah, you'd fallen short. You always had. You probably always would. Do you remember what Peter said when Jesus first came to him on the beach where he'd been fishing? Peter actually fell to his knees and he said to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I'm one of the bad fish. They know, in other words, that by the conventional religious standards of their tradition, they'd mostly fallen short in the righteousness department. The only reason they'd been pulled back on their feet and included in this adventure they were on was because of Jesus, because of his mercy, his grace, his kindness to them, his patience. There still might be some moments when they could be quick to judge others, but mostly they just had learned to shake their heads at the way he kept hauling in people, hauling in people formerly categorized as sinners, evil, unrighteous, undeserving, or whatever. Whatever they made of the evil being tossed into the furnace of fire in this little parable, they had at least some clue to the fact that making those judgments was simply not in their jurisdiction because if they were the ones to make those judgments, they'd probably be tossing the wrong fish away. They just had to take their cues from Jesus and to keep tossing out that net as widely as possible. So here's Robert Capon's comment on what this might mean for the church. Capon says... Jesus didn't shy away from sinners, so why should the church? If the kingdom works like a dragnet, gathering every kind, the church, as the sacrament of the kingdom, should avoid the temptation to act like a sport fisherman who is interested only in speckled trout and hand-tied flies. In particular, the church should not get into the habit of rejecting as junk the flotsam and jetsam of the world, the human counterparts of the old boots, bottles, and beer cans that a truly Catholic fishing operation will inevitably draw up. Hmm. Well, the truth is, 
If you look at who it is that actually lands most firmly in Jesus' company from beginning to end of the Gospels, it tends to be the flotsam and jetsam of his day. People much more like old boots and beer cans than anything else. And he's marvelously and prodigiously generous in making space for those people right by his side, right in his company. He embraces their littleness. He values them like pearls of great price. It's why he insists on casting that net so widely. He's in love with the boots and the beer cans. He really is. And that's as good a place as any to cite a piece from today's epistle to the Romans. It's one of Paul's greatest proclamations. It's something that I have read at countless funerals as one of the gathering scriptures. And it's almost in that context an act of resistance against the darkness and sorrow of death. And Paul writes, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. On our own, you see, of our own steam and on our own making, we are old boots and beer cans all of us. Yet, as Paul would insist, by virtue of the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have become treasured like precious pearls, beloved as children, and by sheer grace alone, counted as good fish. That's the good news for this very warm July evening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church, or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.